Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another exciting episode of Over a Couple of Drinks. I am one of your co-hosts, Chris Birch, and with me, as always, my good friend, Bill Henning. There we go. And, of course, hanging out with us, as per usual, is our good friend, LB. There we go. And also, we have a very special guest tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Please help join me in welcoming him, the only man I know who can play both Han Solo and Chewbacca, depending on whether or not he is wearing a shirt, Mr. Michael Knight. <laughs> You're an asshole. <laughs> How long did it take you to come up with that? Oh, I've I've been thinking about that one since I wanted you on the show. That's pretty. Did you write that, Bill? Mm-hmm. Nice. Sure Very did. well done. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm here. Of course. Hi, I'm Michael. <laughs> All right. So let's take a quick round of what we're drinking tonight, boys. Talk to me. Uh, I am currently drinking Vine and Kugel's cranberry ginger shandy. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Good. 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 It's a fruity beer that the wife bought, but you know what? It's delicious, and I'm secure with my masculinity. Okay, hey, that's good. I'm I'm good old Michiganing it up with uh, the Oberon right now. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> got to represent the home state. <laughs> I'm going a full. <laughs> I'm going a full on white girl. I've got my mint uh, hot chocolate with uh, a <laughs> splash of pumpkin <laughs> spice Kahlua. Yeah, you do. <laughs> God, you got your yoga pants on too, or what? Yeah, you're gonna get white girl wasted. Not today. <laughs> um, I am enjoying a Newcastle brown ale. Ooh, yeah, classy, sounds smooth. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's see what we got for tonight, for everybody. We got a good, few good topics here. Do a quick layout of them all. We won't go too much into it because we're gonna talk about it. That's what this is for. So we're going to be talking about uh, our generation and how Harry Potter is a representation of it, and just kind of comparing it to like Lord of the Rings, Narnia, and how it fits into that. We're going to talk about some video games, some classics, compare those to some more uh, modern ones and how those kind of pair up. And we're going to talk about our heroes on Solo, Indiana Jones, Mal Reynolds, you know, everybody's favorites, and uh, why those are such good role models for us. Jump it over a little bit differently. We're going to talk about adaptations, some maybe like kind of versus accuracy versus faithfulness, which is better, which is more important. Are they equally important? We'll find out. And also, we're going to talk about uh, going back to us as a generation. Uh, are we too cynical? More on that later. <laughs> so, uh, before we jump um, in, though, I need to clarify something. Okay, I don't know if it was a podcast or so ago, but somebody asked me what my favorite Star Trek film was. And I didn't really think about it, and I just blurted out on Discovery Country. I'm sorry, I lied to everybody. Uh, you know what my favorite Star Trek film is? Final Frontier. Mm. No. <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. By Gravity. You gotta Arts. argue it. Nobody can argue it. <laughs> it's the best Star Trek <laughs> film ever. By, by Grapthar's Hammer. What a savings. <laughs> All right. Okay. I can't argue. You got your rock monster, at least. Yeah, I got my giant rock monster in it. You know what? That's it made true. the whole movie better. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to pick today because I didn't actually come up with a topic. We're going we're gonna to start directly into uh, Michael Knight's Harry Potter representation of an epic for nowadays. So, Michael Knight, take us into what you're thinking about this. Well, this, this you know... It, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan to start off the bat. Uh, I literally got done with a shift today. Uh, portraying a actor, I, pl- I I am an actor playing an actor who is a wizard in Diagon Alley. So that's like my job. It's my dream job. I mean, I'm in love with the Harry Potter series, and so anything to do with it really it excites and entertains me. And so what I was just thinking is, you know, we 
we have a lot of reverence for these classic fantasies. And, and I mean, gentlemen, if you can think of any that, you know, any other ones that pop up, but you, you know, you always look to Tolkien, um, for, or, uh, or Narnia or these, these huge sprawling worlds that were created with specific characters that I guess really define a generation of, of literature, of, of specifically fantasy based literature. And, you know, people look to them for reference, for, you know, basically an idea for that's where we get most of our fantasy ideas. When you think of, mm-hmm. of elves or you think of orcs or you think of these things, you know, everything that's been influenced, World of Warcraft, um, everything else that has been influenced by, uh, that for some reason, the only thing I can think of is World of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> but you know, like any, any real, um, you know, fantasy games that involve elves, orcs, dwarves, anything that's come has to do, you know, directly with Lord of the Rings. And, you know, then you've got kind of the school age thing and, and kids as heroes that, you know, that can come from Narnia. And, and I think that we are witnessing right now, I know like the series has been over for, you know, five years, six, seven, you know, five, is it seven years? God, when did the last one come out? Was it 2011? Uh, 2011. Yeah. No, 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 the, not, not the movie. There's a book, the book, the book. Um, oh yeah. That was, was 2000. Seven, yeah, yeah. two thousand seven. Because they made it, they made like a big deal about how it was like the seventh book in two thousand seven. Yeah, two thousand seven, and and the also it was uh the like it came out in July. Um, yeah. So you know, even oh, though it's right. like you know, it's basically almost eight years now that the series has been done. I think we kind of can say that that is again going to be a definitive moment in fantasy history that. I personally believe will stand up with the the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia and any other fantasy like really deep fantasy series that uh we know about. And so I just I'm wondering what you guys think about how it fits in or or if you agree that it that it fits in because I think that that it does. I think that it it takes from those previous ones as well, just as everything that does fantasy will take from those and also creates a whole new playing field of just like a wonderful representation of, of our time as readers and fantasy readers and, and people who enjoy, you know, going off into different worlds and, and magic and stuff like that. I just think that it represents our generation. Um, well, I think, uh, Bill, go ahead. No, no. I, all I was going to say is there's just a fair warning that I haven't read the books. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen all the movies. I was actually banned in seeing the sixth movie from my wife uh, because I was going to stand up and yell the classic spoiler. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to. Which you the, can okay. say because if you don't know by now, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, but I was just going to do it like at the midnight showing. Okay, so I was I was banned from seeing it in theater, so I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I wanted to start off by saying that if there is a question on if Harry Potter is a epic it, it, the answer is it is it has to be and because it was such a following and such a fandom stuff like this just doesn't disappear this this is yeah. our this is our generation's star wars okay this mm-hmm. is what that is and what sets it apart from narnia or lord of the rings or you know um star wars even star wars yeah yeah because i mean let's face it star wars is a fantasy all right, it's mm-hmm. a fantasy in space. That's it's not science fiction. Um, as I drink my beer, 
Um, but what, what sets it apart is this idea that Lord of the Rings is an epic quest. It's like every, every D&D fantasy. Okay. Uh, Narnia is, uh, you're in elementary school and you want to do big things. So you read these books and they do amazing things kind of things. But what sets Harry Potter apart is it is literally a year of a kid's life. And then the next year and then the next year and you see them grow up. And you and you, you read know, them growing up, getting all these experiences, and how they changes them. That's literally what I was about to say. It's uh, there's a reason that I think our generation is drawn to things like uh, Toy Story and the Toy Story films, and how in the last one, one of the most important the things that hit us the hardest was that Andy was now going to college, and we were all like, we were kids with this guy, kind of, and now we're all kind of going to college with him, and I think like through the books and also the movies which ended up being like a good 20-year-something span of time, we kind of did the same thing. We grew up with these characters, and that's something that I think is uh, why the Harry Potter series is so important to you know so many people. And it's also why the movie series is going to be living on now, you know, with these spinoffs, which I have not... I don't know much about, but, you know, like the Fantastic Beasts movies and all that. It's uh, Clearly, people still have an interest in seeing them, so... It, it, someone asked me the other day, they said, like, um, we're just, like, bullshitting around, and someone said, well, do you think that they're ever going to, like, remake classic movies like that? And I said, I can't imagine them remaking Harry Potter anytime soon, but, I mean, one day, and even then it won't be quite the same thing, because, like, this generation kind of, like, you know, is that that thing, so. It's just, like, you know, it, a lot, you just hear, you hear a lot about the fact that, like, you know, I've talked to people especially readers, you know, you, you look at readers and, and I think that, um, that it's nice to have a generation of readers right now. I think we do have, I think we do have a generation of readers as someone who has done teaching and stuff like that. Like I've seen a lot of people, they don't want to read, but I think the, as far as our generation goes, people who are in their mid twenties and stuff, I think, you know, Harry Potter did help us. And so it does represent our time and it was cool to have something that we could grow up with. But I think, more that, you know, what I'm wondering is, is you ask people, you know, is it comparable to Lord of the Rings? Is it comparable to the, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia? Is it comparable to Star Wars? And there are a lot of people out there who will say, no, it's not comparable because it is, it's, it's for kids and it's, it's something that is, you know, it's so easy. It's so easy and accessible. And, and, you know, Lord of the Rings created entire countries and nations and languages and, you know, and things like that. And then, you know, you, again, with Narnia, you spend, you know, years and time and uh, Star Wars created an entire bunch of planets and stuff like that. So I, I don't know, you know, these are just possible arguments that people can use. Well, and so sometimes you hear that, like, this particular series doesn't fit or stand with those other series. Well, and I would argue that it absolutely does. I don't, I don't understand, like, why would they, I, I mean, I guess I'd have to actually talk to one of those people and pick their brain and let them just unload on me because that's what I like to do is I just like to hear, hear people's opinion and not throw my own into it because I don't want them to take judgment on it. I want to hear what they're actually thinking and I want to hear all their thoughts. But that's just kind of asinine if you really think about it um, because to say it didn't create this world. No, it created a pretty rich environment with new creatures and new twists on creatures and that's important. And I guess the kind of thing that I'm getting here is probably going to be touched up a little bit later in a different podcast because I was going to, I was toying around with this topic is, um, where at what age would you read x epic like what epic would you read at what age like what books would you read and 
you know, Lord of the Rings is kind of like middle school up, maybe even adulthood, because there's a lot of heavy things in there. But you can read The Hobbit at an early age, but you'd probably want to wait till Fellowship of the Ring and and Two Towers and Return of the King and The Cimmerillion until you're much, much older. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, I read when I was very, very young. I read the whole thing. I loved them. They were great. Um, uh, but Harry Potter is something you need to start around the age of Harry Potter himself and kind yeah, of experiencing it growing up. And yeah, you know, when you're done with high school, you should be done with the books kind of feeling. But that's kind of the core and the great thing about it is that it's this, it's a nice entrance into the world of fantasy without overly bogging you down and i just you know my time we'll get into that topic later because then I've, I've read a series that helps you if you're missing harry potter and you want to continue this magical world which mike you do need to read the dresden files they're fantastic and you would eat them mm. up planning on it I, I just they're dime store novel mystery film mystery books with uh magical elements in it and the guy is a cocky son of a bitch and basically han solo and i'm sorry you love him that's what it is. Not definitely not arguing. Yeah, no, it just I feel like every book series demands a certain time frame for you to read. And Harry Potter is a and it's not undercutting it. I'm not saying it, it's for kids. No, people remember a lot of things that kids, you know, that we grew up with and we we fantasize and we idolize those things. I mean, we all watched Star Wars when we were young. We all love Star Wars. You know, we don't say, "Oh, that that first one's just for kids." <laughs> You know, because there's nothing too heavy about it. But no, Harry Potter starts you with this nice, fluffy world. Not really fluffy, but like Sorcerer's Stone is a nice introduction to fantasy. Mm-hmm. But when you get to Deathly Hollows, you should be shooken up. You should be in a different place because all these characters are in different places. And that's this This series isn't to be read right away. It's supposed to be read over the course of time with you growing up. Yeah. With them, that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. It's it's really interesting having gone through the journey because, I mean, it, I was one of those kids, and I think a lot of us were right in the sweet spot, you know what I mean, where I started that series at 11 years old, when, and that's how old Harry is when he goes to Hogwarts. Oh, and, that's, that's probably, that was probably that's why you love it. And so I finished, you know, I finished the series, he was 17, and I was, I was 19 when I finished the series, you know what I mean? So that was really cool to like go through those ages and, and grow up and, and get ready, you know, to, to experience those things. And I just think that, that as time goes on, the series in and of itself for what it has done for literature and what it has done for fantasy and what it's done basically for the idea of world building, you know, because I think, I think that that's, you know, what these, what these series really do is it's the world building that really gets you. And I think what it's done for that will eventually like it will fit into the lexicon of greatest epics of our time and be a good solid representation of something that should be held to the highest standard. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, it doesn't have to have a huge following to be an epic in my book. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it helps Harry Potter that it is, but it also hinders it by the people saying, well, it's just for kids. No, you're being asinine. Like case in point, I'm over halfway through an epic that is eating up my soul and it is the weirdest journey I've ever been on, which is The Dark Tower by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And that is a series you want to start later in your life because shit is weird. Like from the get go. And that's not it's not hugely popular in the way of like Harry Potter is or Lord of the Rings, but it's there. 
and I wouldn't take away from saying it's not an epic because nobody knows about it bullshit. No. It just doesn't catch all the flack like Harry Potter does. And to say Harry Potter's for kids, you're a fucking idiot. And I'd love to discuss it with you on this podcast. Yeah. That I was mean, an open invitation, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Come on in. <laughs> Come at us, bro. Bring bring it. We'll get As Michael it, Knight back on here. and I uh, will. And I'm just going to have you guys go at it. Birch, LB, and I are just going to sit here eating popcorn. I mean, just from, from a writing standpoint. I mean, just from a – honestly, from a world-building standpoint. That's really what I'm talking about. You know, you, you get these, these series, you know, Narnia, um, Lord of the Rings, even, um, you know, the Game of Thrones series. And, but I mean, really, if, uh, a song talking, of ice and fire, uh, whatever, sorry. Um, <laughs> but if you, uh, I don't mean to undercut it's I just don't, you know, I'm not as into that. I guess what I'm saying is like years from now, like years from now, when we're, when, you know, give it 25, 30, 40 years from now, and people are looking back and they say, what are your quintessential fantasy series? Like when you look back, what, what is up at the top? I mean, because I, I agree with you, Bill. Any, you know, an epic is an epic is an epic. And I know, you know, the Dark Tower series is very, is very, um, it's taxing on the soul. Let's just put it Well, it's, but no, it's popular as, as is a song of ice and fire. But I'm talking like when, you know, gut reaction, you ask top tier, Top of the line fantasy, like, you know, or just general book popularity of book series. Like, should Harry Potter be included in that? Uh, easily my top five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we t- well, yeah, I was, I just want to touch on this. We talk about all these, you know, different epics and how they relate to each other. And I remember when Harry Potter was first coming out and you heard people saying, oh, it's ripping off Lord of the Rings, et cetera, et cetera. But all of these stories from Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Harry Potter, they all, you know, sort of build on this idea of the monomyth of this, this hero's journey from the known to the unknown through the use of a supernatural aid sort of idea. I mean, you have the force, uh, magic, uh, in, I guess, the hobbits, uh, that would be the one ring in the Lord of the Rings. Um, your magical MacGuffin. Exactly. So, I mean, and these stories, I mean, it's from back from ancient Greek poetry sort of ideas that it's it's not new. It's not it wasn't new in Harry Potter. No, it wasn't new in Lord of the Rings either. So, I guess that's the idea I was well, going with. Not to mention, like saying that it's building off of Lord of the Rings is a little asinine. I mean, it Harry Potter doesn't like it's it's two different page. It's two different books. It's it's apples and oranges. It's a fruit. Yes, therefore it's fantasy. But it's not. There no way are they similar. You know, I mean, when the first one came out, I can kind of see like, oh, it's a little bit Lord of the Rings, but it's so drastically different. The world that she built, the creatures that are in it, the way things work, bring it into a modern time, but still making it separate. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's, like, mean, you look at the writing and one of the exciting things about the book and that I you look back and you look in hindsight and you're like, whoa, this really matured with it. Like. Look at the things Harry does. In the first few books, he's, like, fighting giant snakes and, like, dodging three-headed dogs. And by the end of the book series, all his problems are, like, either purely relationship-based or, like, dealing with a guy who's trying to essentially cause a mass genocide. Like, it's it becomes all of a sudden much more adult. And that, like, if you reread the books, it's just like, wow, this it's it's an impressive thing. And it's like there's a reason that it gets... And, again, that's... It's not the same story, and if you're lumping it into the same thing as Lord of the Rings, then that's like trying to say, well, I mean, Star Trek and 
I don't know, fucking, I mean, Star Wars is pretty similar, I guess, but, like, you know what I mean. Like, it, 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 it would be it, like it, Star Wars and Star Trek are the same because they deal with space and they have space Basically. Yeah. yeah. They just, and you realize how asinine that is. And not to mention, again, like you said, it starts off and he's doing all these fan, like, you know, fantastic dodging a three heart, uh, to, um, dodging a three headed, uh, dog. dog. And, yeah. Sorry. I, a pop up came up on my, <laughs> and, but like, you know, I said, this is a series that should be read. It, well, as you grow up, you know, you don't really want to hand an 11-year-old killed death, uh, had, uh, 11-year-old kid Deathly Hollows. you know? You don't right. want to do that. You want them to gradually grow up with it. I mean, I, I guess here's, let me ask you this, though. You kind of said this phrase just now. Is this a series that, in general, should be read? Like, is this something you, you would say, like, hey, if you want a good snapshot of, I'm sorry I keep kind of changing the topic, but... If you want like a good snapshot of this particular generation and the sensibilities of of this generation's fantasy, or like if you just want to read the best of the best of fantasy, is this a book that is this a series that should be read? Yes, it should be read. In yeah, that yeah. Sweet I, spot. I, I, that, like when my son gets old enough, about ten or eleven, I'm gonna hand him a Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, I'm gonna be like read it. He goes, "Can I read the next one?" I'm like, "No, you're gonna wait." This is something that, should... that would be that would be Philosopher's Stone for those of you listening overseas no for listening all of overseas. our multitudes of of overseas listeners. Yes, yes, all all four of you, and <laughs> three of them are dead. Uh, um, yeah, but they're like, still listening. I count it. You're still listening. We count you. Don't worry. You're important in our books. We but count the dead. <laughs> but like you know, it's it's a series that should be savored. And should hit key moments in your life and express it from the book. That's how I feel. I mean, it is the, I mean, it is my ultimate end all be all of everything. I mean, I, I remember, I feel like I remember the moment it passed Star Wars, you know, which was kind of a sad moment, but at the same time, I was like, you know, I have to follow my heart. And, um, you know, it, uh, it's just something that's so incredibly special in every aspect of it. And I think the wonderful thing that, you know, that I keep loving to go back to is, is the world building. I mean, you just, I think Bill, I was talking to you about this earlier today is, you know, is, is someone, somebody posted a Tumblr post. There's a Tumblr post and Tumblr post said, imagine if your favorite character from your favorite fantasy series reached out of the book and pulled you into their world. How do you think that would go? And then somebody commented on that, like, I think we'd be, I think we'd all be dead in a single day. And the, like, thing after that was like, wouldn't it be a glorious day? And I just sat there going, are you fucking kidding me? No, nah, man. If I got pulled into the, into like the world of Harry Potter, I would be so solid. I know everything. I would take my cell phone, throw it in the damn forbidden forest, and Harry Potter would be like, why'd you do that? I'd be like, bitch, I know muggle devices don't work on Castle Grounds. Where the fuck have you been? You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I, I think I jokingly said you'd walk in Diagon Alley, get your get your wand, and be like, "All right, check out how I do this." Something, something, Maliosa's fucking levitation, bitch. Yeah, and for for those of you, a little plug for Universal Studios, you actually can walk into Diagon Alley and do those things. Just just let you know. It's, What's it's up? true. I was there, <laughs> and get frozen butterbeer because it's delicious. Um, but uh, no, um, it's just that kind of like you know, you build these worlds, you create places that in a lot of people's brains and hearts exist and i think that in and of itself is is so 
amazing. And that's why this series, you know, this particular series deserves to be counted among the best of the best because I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I suppose this isn't a good thing, but I, I did think this was funny. I read something once that was like, that was like, uh, Man, imagine going to the world that you love the most. Like, yeah, I'd love to go to Hogwarts. Yeah, I'd love to go to Narnia. Yeah, I'd love to go to Middle Earth. And then someone was like, no, I'd rather stay out of Westeros. Thank you. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like Westeros. No, I'm good. No, uh, it's, I think someone did the same thing with Pan Am, but I'm like, no, Westeros is better. <laughs> it's There's a- an attack on Titan theme park now, everyone. My God. Now, yep. <laughs> now, just to debunk this whole thing before we get off topic, because I do feel like we're we're circling around. You, yeah. got, you guys remember this question. I hope you do. If you got to live in one fantasy world, one fictional environment, where would that be? Uh, I'm not you even going to answer because the right answer is not the answer that I would give. So give, give me the answer you would give, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Because, <laughs> um, Michael Knight, you know you're going to say Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say the, like, but, the wizarding but, one. Like, but, but, you know I would... but you know you're wrong. <laughs> God damn yeah. it, shut up. I know what the right answer is. I, my answer would probably be Middle Earth. But, but you know I'm wrong. wrong. You want you to know why you're wrong? Because I, Mike, yeah, Mike, yeah. Mike, Michael Knight, let's start with Michael Knight. Michael Knight, if you live in the Wizarding World, you'd probably be a stupid muggle. It doesn't matter how much you know, you'd be a muggle. Because you wouldn't have a magic gene. And Birch, if you lived in Middle Earth, you'd just be some poor farmer who gets stabbed by an orc because bitch. Well, at least they get stabbed by an orc instead of some boring human guy. Okay, you got, you, actually, you get stabbed by some boring human guy. Fuck you. Oh, Bill. damn it. Bill, where would you live? Pokemon, because at age 10, you're given a monster <laughs> and told to go out in the world and be a badass. <laughs> yeah, and everyone gets one. Everyone, like, gets, everyone gets one. But only one person's ever good. Everyone else sucks. Doesn't, What's up with that? You know what? I'd be fine. I'd have fun. I'd have a Blastoise, and we'd go running around and be like, hey, dude, let's go serve. And he'd be like... Sup, dude. Totally. Everyone I mean, should try to be like about. strive to be Gary. Strive <laughs> to be Gary. Find <laughs> some guy. Find some fucking kid that you just don't like, and just like every time they achieve something, just go in and beat up the Pokemon. Yes. And make sure you do it in front of the hospital. And get and get eight badges out of seven. Yep. Do, yep. do everything just so you can say you did it first. Yes. Exactly. Yep. You might come and beat you, but you were there first. How? how- <laughs> pissed were you when you got to the Elite Four you beat the four of them. You're like, I did it. Fuck you, Gary. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. That was a huge emotional time in my life. Uh, <laughs> I don't really like revisiting it. Po- Pokemon Blue, I was just like, man, I beat the Elite Four. I'm feeling great. Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> Who the fuck is you? I w- sure wish I could save. <laughs> I wish I could heal right now. No. Can, you, can I tell you what, uh, what fantasy world I would live in? Uh, what what fantasy world? Well, that's real, the uh, Lego World of Lego. That one. Okay. Like, like that's, that's pretty fair. Because you, awesome. you can build a spaceship out of out of blocks. It's true. Yeah, Everything is then, awesome. Then you would then you would run the risk of not being nominated for an Oscar. Oh. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a real quick break. Uh, to rest our vocals, this recording won't matter. So give us a second. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back, and let's pop over to Michael Knights. What are we talking about next, my friend? All right. Well, I think that since we were talking about Harry Potter, um, and I was watching Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows today, people who listen to this are going to think that I have a problem, you and I might. Have a problem. I'm not gonna not say that I don't. 
Um, I was not actually what, and here's the funny part. I was not actually watching Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows at home, like on my own time. I was watching Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows in the green room of my Harry Potter themed acting job. No question, real quick. Do you guys ever watch Wizard People, Dear Readers, just for funsy? I mean, it's not like we all sit around and are like, hey, we should, but it's been talked about. You guys should and drink heavily because it's hilarious. It'd be pretty funny. That'd be great. Anyway, <laughs> so I think the topic I would like to go with is the adaptations, accuracy, faithfulness, whether or not it's a good idea. So, Burge, that's your Awesome, topic. awesome. Yep. Okay. So, adaptations. You know, from if you're turning a comic book into a movie, which we touched on last time, um, turning books into movies, turning TV shows into movies, it's usually into movies, but it could be into anything, into TV shows or whatever. There's always going to be, and the problem is there's no really pleasing everybody, but there's always going to be a degree of making, you know, taking liberties with the original source and changing things. As we talked about last time, you know, Fantastic Four, which has a, you know, black human torch. We all kind of agreed that that doesn't matter, but that's what we're here to talk about. So, um, what's really, what's more important in, in when you're adapting something? Is it more important that you make it just as accurate to the source material as you could possibly make it? Or is it better to tell a better, a good story? And if what you're making, if, you know, the new movie or whatever it is you're doing, just something is not working in the original, is it better to shape it so it fits your vision more? Or is it more important to just say, well, we got to stay faithful to what made this, you know, get a movie in the first place kind of thing. Um, I'm, I've been looking at the Civil War one, basically, which is coming out in just over a year now. And uh, Civil War, as anyone doesn't know, is a huge comic story that a lot of fans have been waiting for to turn into a movie because it's, it's just, it changed a lot of things and it's a, just a giant epic war between heroes. It's not going to be the same as the comic because it just is not going to be. We know for a fact Spider-Man's not going to be in it, which means his role is going to be who knows. So, but, you know, really about any adaptations that we care about, um, what do we, what do we think? What's more important, accuracy or? Let me, let me just. Touch this real quick about Civil War. I don't understand why it got so big. I really don't. I, I read Civil War and I thought it was the biggest piece of shit I've ever read. I thought it was really, really? it was really bad. It was all build up and no payoff. And when the payoff we did get was finally someone handing Tony Stark his ass, and thank God it was Steve Rogers. And right before anything awesome really happened, Steve Rogers throws in the towel and goes, "This isn't right." When Steve Rogers was right the whole goddamn time. Oh my god, it hurts my brain. That story sucks at the, so much dick. At the risk of making this an entire Civil War themed section, I would like to at once agree with you, Bill, because I, I did not, I did not think that, that for what the story was, I don't think it was as good. You're right. I don't it think just, it ended well. It, I think the elements of Civil War were very good. And that is honestly, yeah. Why, when it comes to the MCU, with the world that they've created in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think we're about to look at a really freaking great movie. I, Why, I, I have to agree be, there, because they can only yeah. go up from there. My only concern is for people like you, Michael Mike, because you adore uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man and, and RDJ. Mm -hmm. But, again, this is a Captain America movie. So, they're either going to go wishy-washy and not pay off, or paint Iron Man as a villain for that. Because let me, it, because let me, it's Captain America Civil War. As an Iron Man fan, let me weigh in on this. 
Because, and because, like, honestly, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. And I mean, you know, we're all different yeah. parts of nerddom. I was, I started with the MCU. The MCU is what got me into Marvel at all. You know, yeah. I, I really, I, I've read comics, but I've never been into comics, you know, but ever, you know, since the MCU, I picked up, uh, Fear Itself, um, Civil War, um, Winter Soldier, which of course, Winter Soldier was barely like the actual Winter Soldier comic. And here's the thing about the MCU, though. They don't care about their title. I don't think that they do. And I think that, I think that as, as writers, as producers, they know exactly what they're doing. And so yes, is this a Captain America movie? Yes, it is. Why? Because they already paid for the slot for Captain America 3. They did not pay for a slot for Iron Man 4. Yeah. That's, here's what that's I, my, that's here's, my only concern. Okay. That's, here's I mean, what I yeah. think though. I don't think that they're going to do that. I think they're going to give Iron Man his due diligence because it's the MCU. They've got something so much bigger going on yeah. that they're not there. Yes, it'll be called Captain America Civil War, but that's only so that they can do this story. They're going to be. Well, they pick, they pick titles because they, they know what kind of titles are going to excite people. They're smart like that. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean it doesn't mean they're going to, you know, so I'm agreeing with you that they're not going to like lock in, into it exactly just because it's like that's the. Just like you say with with Winter Soldier, that was different. Yeah, so. I mean, I I remember when they announced Winter Soldier, and I was like, uh, really? They're doing that that soon, and it paid off. And it's it's yeah, number, it's number and, one I mean, in the Marvel universe right now for me. I mean, and Winter I, Soldier, oh no, it's better than the Avengers, hands oh, down. Yeah. It's like film, it is. Yeah. And the thing is, is Winter Soldier, while yes, it did feature the Winter Soldier. I mean, let's be honest, that movie was about the whole like targeting. But, super people. That but, was the movie he, wasn't yeah. very much about the Winter Soldier. He was still in it though, and it was still you know a, a function of it. But my problem is Civil War puts Tony Stark in here, but we're still seeing Captain America Civil War, and that's my problem. We're still well, seeing, we're, we're, if it, if it was Marvel presents Civil War, it'd be different. But it's Captain America Civil War. I'm paying to see a Captain America movie right now. I just from what I understand though, I mean. Uh, the big change they're making is Iron Man's not supposed to necessarily be on the opposite side of the fence from Captain America. Oh, is that what they're changing? No. I From what I understand, it's like it's basically going to be an, an organization akin to the NSA. Oh, okay. Sort of thing. Okay, then See, I, I don't know if that's I was right. I'm not that's aware just, of that. I, I, I didn't I haven't known anything about it. I've kind of purposely stayed away from it. So, I mean, I'm welcoming that. So, okay, let's get back uh, let's get off comic books. So, later, okay, later so going back to if you want to talk if we want to relate Civil War all the Civil War talk back to the accuracy and faithfulness. I, I would say start to start with, and this is, this is a very political, you know, swerving answer. It's really case by case. Um, yes. yes. As far as what the MCU is yeah. doing with, with taking, taking, you know, comic book storylines, the thing that you, that uh, I think a lot of fanboys are having problems with with the MCU, if they have a problem, because honestly, I have heard very little against the Marvel Cinematic Universe. People love it. Is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like, hey, we're really creating our own story on its standalone. We take influences from our comic books. We're not going to do literal translations, and we're going to take ideas that the comic books have given us, but we are creating our own single through line for our stories. So as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going, to tell their stories, to tell their good stories, as far as having a Spider-Man-less um, you know, Civil War... I think that it's okay to break from what the source material is on this because let's face it, comic books are huge. I mean, they take so long to do even the littlest thing. It's like watching an episode of Dragon Ball Z. I mean, they, <laughs> you know, I mean, comic books for, oh, for all intents and purposes, 
charge up a uh, uh, spirit bomb for spirit bomb. you know four issues. Four issues. So I think I think that um, I think that when you look at a comic book movie, you want to take the best parts of that comic book, uh, best parts of multiple comic books, and make a film out of it. So no, I don't. In the terms of comic book movies, especially in the MCU, I don't think accuracy faithfulness is very important. Let me, let me throw this at you because I mean I agree Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing great, but at the same time I still hate X Two X Men United because it took stories from the X Men comic books but didn't make them better. They actually made them worse, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's it's the best X Men movie." It really isn't. That that's, that movie kind of sucks balls when you look. At Days of Future Past was a good X Men movie. Yeah, but at, at the same time, Days of Future Past, the comic book is better than the movie. And that's my problem. Why are you taking these names and not living up to it? I mean, you don't have to make it exactly. I can think of a couple movies that I think that were exactly done and paid off. That Sin City one, I haven't seen a Danny Kilborn. I really don't care. But when they did Shot for Shot, that was the best damn thing they could have done. And that I, was a solid representation of a comic book. Yes, that was. But that I feel like was supplemented by really solid acting and really solid directing. I mean, that was just a tour yeah. de force of crazy that came together to make something great. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people who stands by saying that I liked Watchmen. I thought it was what it needed to be from ripping it from page to screen. Watchmen's uh, a great example. Yeah, I mean... I think, I'm sorry, LB, go. Well, I was going to say, because like you're saying, they pretty it's pretty much a frame, almost frame-by-frame frame remake. They did make some changes, and some of them pretty big changes, but in my opinion, it made the story better. Yes, and like that's it. As long as your changes are better, but mm. like, like what? Well, okay, and this is this is the thought that I just had, as far as accuracy and faithfulness to to source material. I think a general rule to go by: comic book movies, comic book like Marvel, DC. I'm not talking about um, graphic novels such as The Sin City or Watchmen. I think a general rule for making adaptations for me, is remove what needs to be removed, but you can remove but don't add. That's, I think, what the general rule should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. And that kind, uh, yeah. of, that kind of hits a lot of things that I had a problem with X2. Yeah. Okay. Um, but let's get off the comic books. We had a whole three hours yeah. of that last time. Let's talk about, like, um, say Harry Potter. <laughs> okay? Or say, or, or not so much Harry Potter. You know, so I was... Actually, just going to say, uh, what are our thoughts on turning one book into two movies? Okay. How about, how okay. about, how about uh, one book into three movies? Let me, <laughs> let me get down on this, if you gentlemen will let me. Um, one book into two movies. Now, as a Harry Potter fan, I would, have sat, I, would, I would have sat through a five-hour-long film in a movie theater. That's just how it goes. So when they said they're going to turn the, the Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows into two films, I was ecstatic. Why? There is too much um, nuance. There is too much, you know, little, there are too many little things in there to not do it faith. Now, yes. I think that they, they, as a, they as a company, I will say this because they were the first to do it. They did it literally going, we have an avid fan base who will wait long enough. And we want to do a good job with this. I think most things that have come afterward saw what that did financially and therefore are going, let's split this into multiple films. Case in point, The Hobbit, which I just saw um, 
the Battle of the Five, Ar- Five Armies, and my God, what a pile. Like, I have never seen somebody just, like, freaking keep watering something down till it became soup. I mean, it just, <laughs> I mean, you've got like, you've got like these storylines that you are adding and, you know, it's called the battle of the goddamn five armies. And yet we see five seconds of the five armies and the rest of it's just a bunch of people looking at something and going, I refuse to let this happen. And then you get another 10 minutes of somebody for some reason seeing something that we as the audience can't see. But God, we're going to watch their reaction to it for a good solid two minutes before they let us see what they're looking at. So yep. I'm sitting there going, Peter Jackson, why are you trying to make a two and a half hour movie that if you needed to make a third movie could have been 90 minutes? And not to mention you didn't need a third movie. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I saw the first one in theaters. I liked it. I thought it was great. I was like, okay. Yeah, I, first I, one I was probably the, the best one because the first one, not only did it keep to the spirit of the original movies, but it also kept to the spirit of the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it just felt like it it worked. They yeah. didn't try to make it something that didn't need to be. And then, yeah, and that's what I thought. This could just go with with two movies, and I yeah. think it'd be just fine. And then, yeah, and I missed the second one in theatrical release because a kid. You didn't miss much. No, and then I you uh and then you I just wa- if you if you look it. on YouTube and find Benedict Cumberbatch's Dragon, that's all you really need to see. <laughs> <laughs> then I red boxed it, that's... And, and that's pretty much true because there is so much filler in that that is pointless oh my god it was painful to watch that i just well the worst part is that they they were building up as if certain plot lines cough cough tauriel the female elf were going to lead somewhere and then they just didn't in the third movie talk about putting like i understand you wanted to add a female part into a dominant male role no that's fine but talk about phoning in the storyline Oh, we're gonna do a love triangle between the hunky elf from the first three films and that everybody loves. Do anything with that? Yeah, and then on top of that, like, oh, she falls in love with the first pretty dwarf ever. Okay, fuck, goddamn, right? It's so shallow, and not to mention it's a love triangle that's been done. If you're gonna add a female character well, and make her even remotely close to a lead, give her something unique for Christ's sake. Have her in the third have her film do something I'm... or affect something. Yeah. Yeah. In the third film, like, okay, this is in the book. I'll just say it. The guy dies. Yeah. But he, um, they, she, she says something to Lee Pace to the effect of, it's, why does this hurt so much? And he says, because it was real. And I thought, the basis of this relationship was a dick joke. That's, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> there is nothing else that started this, this love. And, and we're supposed to believe that she's broken up because this, this guy that she's known for like two days got stabbed. Of course, I'm still trying to wonder why Lee Pace just doesn't go over there and touch the dead body and he comes back alive for a second, for 60 seconds and tells the whole story oh. and they find out who kills him. Solid reference, sir. <laughs> Solid reference. Proud of you. I, well I, done. I, I love Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies is a great show. Um, that should be a new topic. <laughs> Prematurely canceled shows. Um, Firefly. Oh, good one. Look, look, a straight two hours on Firefly. Um, (laughs) The thing is, is like, again, here is what I will say with The Hobbit. Don't add. Remove what you need to remove that is superfluous. Don't add. For instance, in Harry Potter, you've got, again, I was psyched about two movies. So psyched about two movies. Now, here's the thing. You have, at the end of Harry Potter... You get your showdown that you've been waiting for. Now, we've seen a couple. We've seen a couple showdowns, right? So we have seen Harry do battle with Voldemort. Fifth book, they're throwing spells at each other. Then Dumbledore comes in and helps out. Um, fourth one, they do their little priority incantatum stuff. There's even some weird... 
You know, but we see Harry fight enough. What's cool about the moment that they fight in the seventh and final book is that they sit and they circle each other and everyone's watching and they're talking shit like nobody's business. Like I have never read such good shit talking like good on you, JK Rowling. <laughs> I don't know what school you went to for shit talking, but that was amazeballs. 10 out of 10 would bang. So, you know, so I read in these articles, I'm like, okay, they're going to add more to the Harry Voldemort fight. Why? Because it's a movie. You want more to the Harry Voldemort fight. And that's cool. And there is this moment that they discuss where because Voldemort literally can't kill Harry because of the protection on him, he literally resorts to beating the shit out of Harry with his fists, which is a cool idea. So then I'm sitting there watching in the movie today. And yes, the fight on the little fight on the staircase is neat that they have um, the fight up in the, the tower that they have is cool until Voldemort starts using his weird robe ropes. And then <laughs> oh, I remember this. The, the, yeah, yeah. And then they start talking to each other. And then there's that weird, completely unexplained flight through the grounds in when which they jump. He jumps down. Up. Like Harry decides to like suicide both of them. Is that what he's totally. doing? Exactly. <laughs> so you're sitting there, go, like he didn't know Voldemort was going to take that opportunity to go ahead and you know go all smoke monster. So <laughs> like, so I'm sitting here going. You had a really great moment written into the book. Now, you want to add maybe a few more spells shot at each other? That's fine. But then burst into the Great Hall and do the circling. Do the talk. Then do your moment at the end. Again, they wanted to add drama. So what they did was they did another priority incantatum in which they cast a spell at each other. And they go full-on Dragon Ball Z, again, where they're forcing their spells at each other. Which, like by the way, everyone, we have seen like four times in the yeah. movies. It's, in it's fact, not give it us anything happened new. in the fight not 10 minutes before. <laughs> so, again, you don't need to add that. What was written was good, and it will work effectively. So that's the thing is you're sitting there going, like, why are you, why are you screwing with something in a novel that is already good? I can understand them leaving things out. I can say the, the, the Society for Protection of Elvish Welfare – Cut it. Hmm. Fine. You want to remove um, the whole, you know, a lot of the, the stuff while they're on their travels? Fine. Take it out because you're talking superfluous. You want a streamlined story that you can still tell. See, they almost why went... Did... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, they almost went too far in some cases. But I'll get to that. Uh, go ahead with what you're saying. No, like, so why did you feel the need to, like, add something like you can take these things out and you're still going to have plenty of material to work with. So why put something new in? Because they felt like they needed an action scene. And that's what's and funny that's... is that what's funny is that they felt they needed to put in more drama and in doing so they took out the drama. Like they took out the very thing that made that scene memorable in the first place. Here's here. Here's the thing. You have a two hour film, right? You, I'm sorry. You have a two hour, two and a half hour film that you can make. That is the, that is the general idea for an adaptation these days. Two and a half hours. If you look at the running time of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, it is two hours and one minute. That is 29 minutes of footage that you could have used. What could we have done to add your action sequences that you want? Show us the rest of the Battle of Hogwarts. I mean, legitimately, take another solid 15 minutes and show us wizards killing each other. Yeah. And and that's the thing. If, if you look at these scenes while they're running through them in this in this movie... 
if you look in the background, it is exactly what it should be. There are wizards casting spells. There are giants knocking people aside. There are magical creatures, giant spiders trying to kill each other. The background stuff is really exactly what it should be. Show us a little bit of that. If you want to add something, show us something that is in the novel that is there. It's happening in the novel. Just instead of where our camera focuses is right on Harry, take it away from Harry and show us that stuff if you want to add a little more action. Don't create something that wasn't actually there. No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the tables on you, Michael, because I remember something you've ho- uh, you posted on Facebook about this movie, and I don't want to go too deep into it because I do plan on having a huge, huge nerd on about it. Okay. We're going to call in, we're going to have uh, Anna Trippiano sometime to talk about this. But we're going to talk uh, real quick the Hunger Games. Okay. In which I remember the one thing you said about the first Hunger Games movie. You said, yeah. well, that was a great slideshow of the book. Yeah. What would you have done to make that movie feel less choppy and uh, sort of so just a better watch to get all the information across from the. Uh, from the book to the movie. What would you do to make that a better adaptation? I would have stopped showing all these broody shots of Cadmus. <laughs> like in what? the in the first in the first Hunger Games film. I, I would like to go on the record if we're talking about adaptations, I would like to go on the record and say that um as far as adaptations from a novel to a film, Catching Fire, the film, is the hands down single best adaptation of a book. Like if you want to just pull what happened in the book and put it into a movie, yeah. catching fire is legitimately start to finish with a couple things removed, not added, but just removed yeah. with a couple things removed strictly what was there. And it was very enjoyable. And it, and it was smoother and it watched you. You could watch yeah. it. It, it. It was a much better watch. I loved catching fire. So if you're looking at, at, um, at the first hunger games, they took so much time establishing who Katniss was. And I think, I mean, maybe we just didn't know it at the time. I think we could rely on Jennifer Lawrence to tell us who Katniss is without taking these, like, really long, like, walks through the woods and these huge, like, broody looking over the, the hills moments. And show us more of that fight. Show, and, and all these, like, all this extra commentary... Because the whole idea of, of the Hunger Games is isolation. You take these kids out of their, their comfort zones and put them into these things, and they feel like they're being manipulated by an unseen force, which they are. So at the time, I liked it, but now that I think back, if you wanted less of a slideshow, stop showing what was going on in the game room. Stop with all the, um, stop with all the, the commentary given by um, Caesar and just show us what's happening in the Hunger Games. Okay. I, That's I, how you... I would also, That's how I would adapt that. Personally, I would have put the narration back in, too, since the whole book is told from first person. Cadmus, I would yeah. I would have given some way to, to get inside her head, all right? Because mm-hmm. that was a key function of it. You learned a lot more about stuff and her opinion on things, and you learned more about her character by doing things. When she said, oh, this person has this kind of look on her, I don't trust her. I mean, you know, like, uh, what was the contestant's name? Foxface? You, you instantly knew what Katniss felt about that character. You just instantly knew, you know, and it just, I felt like a lot of that was missing out of Hunger Games. And one thing of the Hunger Games lost in the, from the movie or from the book to the movie again was the whole, you know, the whole love triangle thing that um, was obviously a big sort of marketing thing, I would say, for the movie almost. And that in the book, it's very clear that Katniss has no feelings whatsoever, pretty much for anyone. And then, <laughs> yes. you, I mean, that's basically how it is. And then in the movie, without her inner, you know, her inner voice, her narration, 
it just comes across as the love triangle, which yeah. you know I'm sure Twilight fans ate right up. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna touch that with Michael Mike because he he still likes those books. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, look, a lot of people have opinions on the series, and as as a grown ass twenty six year old man, <laughs> I do not hate everything about Twilight. You know, I can respect that out of you because I try to do that with a lot of things going, I will give it a shot. Man, LB remembers the time we tried to watch Twilight, the first movie. We tried, yes. to, we tried to drink heavily. It didn't. Four happen. men on a couch drinking mojitos. Well, I feel, hold on. <laughs> Nothing gay I, about that. <laughs> Maybe in your underwear with a little grease. Um, oh, baby. Well, Birch, I mean, this was your topic. So, like, what, I mean, how do you feel about books and stuff being... About that. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of honestly, you answered it best. It's a case by case thing. Um, with the, with books into move, into the, like the, uh, multiple movies and whatnot, I feel like the one that did it right was Harry Potter because, again, because you've said it already, but I, when I read the seventh book, I, I stopped reading and I was kind of like live, like giving it to my brother too. He was next to me, like on this big car ride we were on because he was a lot younger going out with our parents and whatnot. And he was just like, what's going on in the book? And I was like, well, lots of stuff's going on in the book. And I, and I, the first thing I thought was, I don't know how they're going to make this movie. And I, cause I like everything to me seemed like it was like vitally important and you couldn't cut it. And so I was like a fan of the two movie idea, but I, I just don't like when movies think like, well, all of a sudden now the last Twilight book has to be two movies because I, I just can't imagine. When you can make Return of the King into one movie, yeah, you don't really. you don't need to make the last Twilight book into two movies, like, yeah. And not the question. Mention, for, oh, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say the the one the one series that I thought did really well of going from an epic scope and putting it one into one movie was the original Lord of the Rings. And I know I got a couple friends out there who would say no, that isn't a good adaptation. But I mean, really, if you think about the scope of it. Putting a fellowship into one movie, putting the two towers into one movie, and putting a return of the king into one movie, you have to go, all right, you got kudos. But all that good faith is lost when you turn a tiny little kid's book into three films. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, here's, here's a fun question, because at that time, Deathly Hallows had not come out. Do you think, given our proclivity for turning books now into more multiple movies, do you think that uh, that that uh, Jackson would have elected to turn, say, Return of the King into two movies? I think he would have. I think he would have, and that's really unfortunate. But I feel like he would have. But I, I also, <laughs> I also think there was some special thing about uh, watching it in theaters and then waiting for the extended edition to come out on DVD and buying it and seeing all the new stuff that was added to it. I, mm-hmm. I think that was a a good uh, nerd culture shock for us to go. Oh, that could have been in it. That would have been great. But at the same time, it kind of led into, they should be two movies, and then companies just going, look at all the money I'm counting right now. Yeah, I'd really like to believe that Jackson himself had nothing to do with the decision. It was more of a studio thing. To turn it into three To films? multiple movies, yeah. I mean, I believe if he wanted to split into two, sure, fine, that's fine, but... Uh... I... I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off, LB, I thought. No, I was done. Here's what I will say. I think if you want to look right now, and I think this is a great time to be alive, because I think what what the world is realizing right now, and this is why the two movie thing is kind of becoming interesting. I think we're realizing that the best format for t- 
turning a novel or a series of novels into something on the screen is to go to TV. Yeah, no, I agree, because uh, A Song of Ice and Fire done like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, actually, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. We're going to come back to that, because that was a topic I wanted to bring up, and it's a perfect one to do here. Hello there, welcome back to Over a Couple of Drinks. We're back, and we're real quick. We're gonna get through this rather fast. Is uh, talking about what if these series were given the A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones route, and just given twelve episodes a season kind of thing, All right? Because I've been toying around with this idea, and I always wanted to ask this to Michael Knight because again, it's about Harry Potter. If is if you could get if someone came to you before the movies came out, all right, Michael Knight. Mm-hmm. And like, let's say you got, you know, you're this age right now. And they said, I'm going to give you a bunch of money. You need to make a Harry Potter into some type of series. What would you do? Okay. Let me ask you, are you currently asking me? All right. Are you asking me if it's, if it's the, before the movies came out like saying, like, like saying, say, saying, saying movies haven't been made, but it's right now. Like, like say it's right now. The movies never happened. And I okay. said, here's a bunch of money. Make me money off of Harry Potter. Turn it into something. What would you do? And God, that's a hard question. I mean, I, right now, I mean, right now, what I've been thinking of is honestly, I would do it as a TV series. Um, because right now, TV and the production value on TV is so high and wonderful. Like, I mean, you look at shows right now, like Arrow and, um, and some of the shows. I mean, hell, even if you go back to looking at Firefly, like, these shows have production value that is great. Yeah. And I think that's your number one question with these things is, you know, oh, well, you know, the production values were, and that's what I would say. If you, if you talked to me in 2001, when they made Harry Potter, the first movie, I would have said, no, make it a movie because it's production value because it's, you know, the money, the budgets mm-hmm. and everything right now. I think I would do it as, yeah, honestly, like something, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Netflix fan. I would do it as like a Netflix original Netflix? series. You know, I mean, we're all excited for the, the Marvel Netflix, of course. Oh God, yeah. Uh, but like, Daredevil. Would, would you would you go Netflix? Would you go like uh, the twelve episode higher budget, or would you go a little bit lower budget, twenty two episodes for? Because I mean, I'd have to imagine that 12, 12, 45, 50 minute episodes. Say you've got to deal with Showtime to make Harry uh-huh. Potter. I would have to imagine that twelve episodes for one book would probably get through about everything you need to get through. Right. I think. I think. Yeah. But again, I think once I got to the Deathly Hollows, I might split it up into two seasons. Which, which is fine because, I mean, you look at season two of Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and they clearly ran out of time. It was kind of a mosh, like a mixed match, terrible, deba- this, you know, debacle. But then you look at season three and four and you realize that's one book. No one's going to care that you split it into two no. seasons. No. And I think, I think as no. long, here's the thing about making a book into a, into a television series. The great aspect of that is, You've got the, you've got the audience for as long as there is material. So you make as many seasons as you need to get it done. Therefore, you have a show with an audience. The only thing I will tell you, especially with Harry Potter though, something that literally just jumped into my head, you're looking at time for your actors to not grow. Do you know well, what I mean? No, I mean, you look at it like this, uh, it's every year. Every year they do one. They're actually growing up with it like they did the movies. They do a season, you wait a year. You do a season, you wait a year. 
Yeah, because I suppose we actually waited, what, two years between almost every one of the movies? Is it? I don't fucking know. Bert, Bert, what would you take into a a TV show from a a standpoint, like a a book series? What would you do? Um, Have you ever heard of... uh, Oh, you know what I would do? The Chronicles of Prydain. Chronicles of Prydain? What's that one? Uh, I don't know that one off the top of my head. Disney Disney turned it into a little movie called The Black Cauldron. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That movie's (laughs) a giant pile. (laughs) But yeah, I would I'd make a faithful adaptation of those books because they're pretty cool. That'd be cool. LB, what would you do? On the spot. I lost him. He's dead. What? What would you do? What? What? Series? I remember you saying LB at any I point. Said LB, what? What? What series would you do? Oh, I can, I, I can agree. He said LB. Yeah. Okay. He's strong. Uh, Don't worry about it. What book series would I turn into a TV show? Yeah. Who? Uh huh. Uh, uh, Bill on the spot, go. I would do the Dark Tower. I I literally would, because that, that series needs to be filmed just to say it can be filmed, but there's no way it could be a movie, or a, even seven movies, or eight movies, or however many books he wrote, because some of them are just so goddamn bizarre, alright? When I started reading A Gunslinger, I thought it was this weird fantasy western. My God, was I wrong? You, everything's melting into each other, and like his other stories are being melted into it. And it's—if I described it to you, you'd probably go crazy. If you read the synopsis, you'd think it'd be stupid. But when you're reading it, and there—it's okay. Again, I'm—I'm I'm a little high on the Dark Tower right now, but deal with it. Um, when you when you read Harry Potter, Michael Knight, mm-hmm. you you felt like you were growing up with these characters, right? Yeah. When you read Lord of the Rings, you felt like you were going on an adventure with these characters, right? Everybody? Um, yeah. About actually reading all of the Lord of the Rings. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's, <laughs> that's daunting. No one's going to judge you. But when you read The Dark Tower, this isn't an adventure. You're not growing up. You're being dragged. All right? It is painful at times, and it is fun at times. But you are being dragged along this journey, and it is the best thing in the world. And that the only way I could see it being done is a TV show, because some books would probably get done in less than a season. Some books would take four or five seasons. I'm not kidding. Not a bad pick. I've got it. What would you do, Obi? Ender's Game. Yes. Oh my God, yes. I think the movie to put that first—I mean, just that first book—into one movie it was way too rushed. Yes, it was. Would you go on from there? You know, I haven't gone on from the first book, to be honest. Really? So I actually am one of the few people who likes Speaker for the Dead more than Ender's Game. So let me ask you the question. Would you go on then? Yes. I would probably go, I, even though I wasn't a fan of the Shadow series, which is the Bean story, because they felt like they fundamentally changed the character for a story, I would probably throw a little bit of that in there because it kind of connects the dots. But I eventually I would get to Speaker for the Dead because seeing... The one thing I loved about Ender was... Ender himself was such an interesting character at age six or seven or however old he was. Seeing him grown up as a 30-year-old and seeing how he's grown and how he reacts to things nowadays is just so delightful. And it's so good. And to to a degree, Xenocide's pretty good until it falls apart. And then Children of the Mind is actually pretty terrible because they remove Ender. And I'm like, I'm here for Ender. I actually don't care about anything else. Ender is such a cool character that I I agree. Ender's The Ender saga should be done like that. Okay, we good? 
We're all Ooh, yeah. Because we, we, yeah. we went a lot about TV last time. I think right? I think that I think that what we, we we can gather from this is if you right now at least right now in the world that we're living in, I think the best route for large book series, like maybe not TV the young adult book series, go for a TV show. I think yeah. that's your best bet. Yeah, I mean, unless you can get away with putting it into a three-hour film like say Lord of the Rings did, you know. Mm-hmm. Doing that and making sure that the material's there. Cough, Hobbit. Cough. Yeah, I wasn't subtle at all, and I don't give a shit. I don't well, give. Do you look at the Chronicles of Narnia? The the movies just kind of. I mean, are they making any more? I don't the, think they are. No, they're not. They, I unfortunately, like they got to um, Voyage, and the Vo- Voyage of the Undertreader made no money, and they were just like, we that we have failed. This. I think that would have been a better TV show. I still think you could do it. I, I think you could pick up from there. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's switch. Birch, well, Birch, did you get to say enough? This was your topic. I feel bad. Well, no, honestly, this is, you guys, I, this is what I want to hear as you guys talking about this. And you've said the things I wanted to say anyway. So yeah, this is what I wanted. This kind of talk. This is, this is the problem so. of the podcast. We don't let Birch talk enough because, uh, he's not Johnny on the spot. All right. Birch, he's a good listener. Well, look, it's, his sexy voice is going to do things to the ladies listening. Oh, oh yeah. We you can't know, doing that. Like, we're we're a nerd podcast. We gotta. We have to have that sex appeal. Okay, <laughs> my hair can only go so far. All right, I got. It. So let's jump over to Michael Knight's topic about older games being harder than new games. I think that was it, wasn't it? Something. It's okay. It's the idea that like video games have come so far. We started out with two sliders and a ball. And then we went to, you know, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong. Those were, like, games that were challenging. And yet now we have these wide-sweeping, full-story arc, voice actor, I mean, like, as good as, if not better than some movies, follow-behind games that we all know and love. And I guess I'm wondering, is, like, how did we get here? And what is better? I mean, should we consider our classic games almost better because they're more difficult or is where we've gotten to just freaking amazing and are they well, better I, I think i don't know it, it's hard to say better um but it i think the general thing about kind of our maybe we'll call it generation society whatever is there's this idea of expansion it's kind of this this thing you know we've came we came so far from i mean from the original t- old TV shows all the way up to what TV is now, as we were just talking about, uh, films, same deal. There's always this element of like everything feels like it's got to be so much bigger, so much grander. Um, and I think in some ways, some video games are truly successful in how they. I mean, Assassin's Creed, I think, is a good example. Um, my favorite uh, like, series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff. Um, Kingdom Hearts is one of my favorites, and that's another thing that I got a little convoluted but i mean you know being when you have like multiple games spanning multiple consoles and you know it's gonna get like that but um there is something really kind of wonderful about playing the old ones and just going back to a simpler time and and seeing in some ways you're right some of these games are really fucking hard um and that's you know it it has a serious the sense of satisfaction that comes with completing a game like that well, it's like the, uh, yeah. the, the one the one information that came out not too long ago about the Pac-Man ghosts. You, you guys heard about this? Like they were actually programmed to do stuff. Yeah, like one of really? them. One of them. One of them is meant to chase you. Uh, what what were them? Bert, you you told them back to me. What were they? 
Uh, did I tell you this? Yeah, I you, don't... You, you, you brought it up to me again. It was like, one of them is meant to chase, chase you. One of them is supposed Wait, I'm, to go I'm... to where you're not. The other one is supposed to like lead you into corners, and one is purely I'm random. I'm Googling it right now. Um, okay, so we got... Uh, Blinky is the blue one. It looks like he receives it. Speed boost? Okay, well, I'm not finding it. No, no, um, okay. but but basically, yeah, basically, no I know what you're talking about, Bill. I, I yeah, read the same thing. That's yeah. a general thing. And, you know, that's the kind of level of, like, you know, thing that's built into the game that we all took for granted and didn't really know. Next time I play it, I'm going to be looking at that going, oh, that's really cool. Another example is, like, in Donkey Kong. If you watch um, King of Kong, which I love that documentary, and, you know, it, it may be true, it may not be true, it may be slanted, but there's this one part where the, the, the guy they're talking about, this guy who, who beats the record from like this his own arcade in his his uh, garage? He's drawing on the screen and he's looking at the bouncer's bounce right before you can climb up the ladder from the first stage. And he's like, "There's three different patterns. You have to just figure out which pattern's which." And it's all right here. And he like marks it. And it shows like this one bounces higher. This one bounces normal. This one bounces a lot shallower. The shallower one you can't make it. The taller one you have to be faster. And you want to wait for that sweet spot. And you're just kind of like, I never knew this kind of like you know in-depth, you know, strategy was here. That's awesome. That's unique. And then you look at something like, and I'm, again, I'm sorry, but Alien Isolation, I love that game because the game is literally the scene from Jurassic Park when the kids are in the kitchen. When the alien drops down in the room, it does not have a pattern other than to find you and kill you. And it is terrifying and it's you look at these steps from video games, you're like, oh, okay. I so, thought playing The Last of Us. Yeah, like The Last of Us, you can kind of see like, oh, they're kind of moving a set pattern kind of thing, you know, a little bit, unless you made a noise. Or like, say, uh, Metal Gear Solid series, you'd see like, oh, these this guard's on a certain path. And unless you yeah. make a noise, they won't follow you. The alien drops into the room. It's fucking terrifying because he doesn't have a set pattern. If you're making a noise of any kind, he will go into investigate. And if he knows you're there, he won't give up. There's one time where I got trapped in a locker because I knew I went into this room, there was no exit, and it eventually tore the locker door off of it because it was the only place I could hide. And you just kind of go, wow, that's so cool for video games to make that jump. That's all I'm saying. See, see for me, I love the fact that we have come from a place, now, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without the original games. And then we started to do it, you know, side-scrollers and stuff with the NES, the Super NES, especially with, say, Legend of Zelda, where we started writing stories with these games. And now we're playing these vast, sweeping, really cool, in-depth things with really great characters, and you're actually living a moment in time. And I just, I value that so much. I'm just so odd. To the point where, like, I can't go very much and sit and play an arcade game. because. Really? If, yeah, Be, I, and I know they're they're completely different animals, but like I have a hard time playing um like yeah like old school games, and I'm like I get so much fulfillment out of the like the stuff that I'm given now because it's so much more in depth. But at the same time, maybe I enjoy it because it's simpler. Because the yeah. truth of the matter is like you have to apply apply strategy and stuff to a lot of Galaga and yeah, well, you know, I, Mario and I, stuff like I, that. I think it comes down to someone once told me this that if you're reading a story, there's two types of people. People who are there for the story and mm-hmm. people who are there for the character. Okay? And, mm-hmm. like, if you're there for the characters, if you're that person, it doesn't matter how terrible the story is. You're there to see the characters grow. 
If, right. you, if you're there for the story, you could care less about the shitty characters. You just kind of want to see where it goes. With video games, it adds this new kind of level to it where it's the experience. Are you mm-hmm. there for the experience to play the game? And I think those three people still exist in the world. Those three kinds of people fit in the video game world, and you just don't fall under the experience. I mean, you fall under more of story and character. And yeah, the experience is there, but it's not the same. You could, if the story was shit and the characters were shit, but the experience was great, you probably still wouldn't like it. And that's nothing against you. You're more of a story man. That's fine. That's great. And mm. this, this, then it's a damn good time for you to be alive. Cause see, I hate playing like online. Like, you know, I get Call of Duty. I play through. I love doing first-person shooters. I love all that. I think it's fun. But I have very – I mean, sometimes I, I, I have gotten into playing online. That's honestly just because I want to shoot something. But as far as, like, I love the campaigns on these games more than anything. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big into going along on, you know, shooting the other people on the Internet and getting yelled at that I'm, you know, that I fuck my mother or whatever the hell they say. But So it's – no, no, no! Yeah. It's that they're gonna fuck your mother. Yeah, as a whole, that's that's a, you that's gotta. It. And there's there's some games that are built for that though, because like, I just played Battlefield 4's campaign. That was the biggest pile of shit I've ever played. Oh my wow. god, it was painful. But you, th- that game is meant to be played online. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's the same. Experience. Same with most of the Call of Duty games that are coming out right now. Yeah, they, they've honestly, no one's gonna disagree that Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, that story, ah, oh, that was so good. Mm-hmm. That campaign was worth every dollar, you know. Yeah. And then two kind of phoned it in a little bit and focused more on the campaign. I mean, on the multiplayer, and three was just pretty bad. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I guess really it just comes down to you're not a fan of the, the the retro stuff, and that's fine. Well, like here's here's a question that I that I'd like to ask you. Yeah. For instance, and I guess this this can be thrown into this topic. So we've got our original Pokemon games, right? We've got Blue and Red, yeah. all this dating back. Then you can go all the way through, I guess, like Game Boy Advance or even the ones that are coming out now. Let me ask you, if they made a Pokemon game right now that could be played on, I guess it would have to be the Wii U, but it plays just like, say, an Assassin's Creed or, or, just, or you know, a, uh, a third-person shooter. Any, anything, or, yeah, or an open-world game yeah. in which you, you, you go to the different regions, you literally do walk through the tall grass, you run into Pokemon, and I think that they actually did make that. I I don't know. I honestly haven't played a Pokemon game in the last like two or three generations, so I think it is more like this now. But like, it's become an open world, and you go from like house to house, and you have to like search around. Well, would, yeah, I mean, would, the past. Would you are... argue? Would you argue though that the original few, maybe up through you know Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy, you know, Advance, are would that be more fun than playing a you know third person follow behind? Well, that's the problem there because it's nostalgia goggles. I can tell you straight up that I still love Red and Blue because I got Red and Blue on Christmas the day they came out kind of thing. All right? I loved every minute of it. But, like, uh, if they made that nowadays, like, I I don't think it would ruin my my view on the older games. It would just be more of the Pokemon game. Pokemans. The Pokemon game I always wanted. All right? Someone goes, here's here's a third-person adventure game. You're in Pokemon World, go. And I'm like, here's my money. Cause see, I've always wanted that. Like, basically the way I used to think of it was, you know, I, I played the first few Zeldas on NES, Super NES. And then we got Ocarina of Time. And I'm sitting here going, where's my Pokemon game like this? Yeah. Agreed. I'd like, I'd love that. Yeah. Well, I actually had an app on my old laptop where if you put an emulator on of red or blue or 
I think it was Fire Red or, or Leaf Green, that you could um, do an MMO Pokemon of that. And right. it was it was really crazy because you were playing the single-player campaign, except there were a 100 other people doing it too, and you could trade with them and fight them at the same time. Huh, cool. that, that was kind of fun. It was crazy okay. cool. And they 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 added all the other Pokemon from that gener like that generation time, but I didn't care. I had Squirtle, Gigi Nori. <laughs> well, what else do you want to talk about? About I mean, I mean, in your when you brought up the topic to us, talking about uh, more challenging than today's epic storylines. I guess what I'm saying is like, do what do we value more at this point? Is it okay to be like our games right now are more fun? Um. I think there there's some people who like the challenger stuff. That's why those it's, Dark Souls it's really games, subjective. Yeah, that's why like, there's like some Dark Soul game the Dark Soul games still exist where the game is brutally challenging and unforgiving, mm -hmm. but like when you beat that boss, you feel really, really good about it. I mean Super Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy. Oh my god, that was painful. Uh even to a degree, alien isolation. In with this random alien, getting through the level, you felt really good. I felt amazing going, yeah, I got through that level. Fuck you, alien. What up? And then it would eat my face. But, like, I think those that hard level still exists. But as an overall genre, a lot of things have gone on the easy way side. Okay. And, and I think that's okay because some series just wants to tell a really good story, like Mass Effect from beginning yeah. to end. Loved it. You know, anybody who said they hated the ending just was caught up in the hype. Oh, but you just finished it. What were your thoughts on the ending? Give me I just thought the ending was too. Sh I mean, <laughs> spoilers if you haven't pl uh, played through it. The ending all comes down to you have a choice to make. It's either A or B, and all the choices you made in all these past games don't really matter. And and a lot of people are upset over that, saying, "Oh, I mean, Mike, did you play it?" No, I have not played Mass Effect. Okay, uh, you might want to. And like everyone was really upset, saying, "Oh, my choices didn't matter," and. I'm reminded of when one of my favorite shows got canceled. There was this great quote where they said they filmed the ending and it tied everything up with a nice bow. And then everybody watched it and said, this isn't our show. This isn't life. Life is you're walking across the street to go propose to your girlfriend and you get hit by a goddamn bus because fuck you. And that's how I took the Mass Effect 3 ending where it's like, oh, you have all these choices, but you end up at this one spot and you have to pick one, two, or three. Oh, that kind of takes away the fun of it. I'm like, no, that's life. You get hit by a goddamn bus because fuck you. Yeah, and see, I, I kind of like that idea of the ending where all these choices didn't matter. I mean, because right, that's life. That's that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. You make all these plans, and guess what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I value old games. I wonder if I value them because I played them when I was younger. It's going to be really interesting for me when my kid grows up to see what he thinks of these older games. I still don't know what I'm going to do about video games and him. You know, speaking of um, nostalgia goggles, is this a good way to transition into my last topic? Are we too cynical? Yeah. Uh, do we want to take a break first before we do that, Ob? Because we're kind of close, so we're gonna ramble a little bit more. Uh, you know, I did want to mention one more thing actually about the older new games, real quick. Is the idea yeah. of difficulty in old games? You didn't have really much of a choice. The difficulty was what it was. You either beat the game or you didn't. New games, you tend to have a choice. You have, you know, easy, hard, or easy, medium, hard, etc. I mean, there were obviously games like that before. But let's take Mass Effect 3, for example, where you literally get the choice of, do you want to play story mode 
or do you want to play action mode? Yeah. Where it's... <laughs> they have the I mean, Not to mention, like, old games were purposely harder because you were shelling over card-hard cash for these games that could, you know, nowadays be beaten in five minutes. They purposely yeah. made them hard as replayability kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you look at Mario, Super Mario Bros. Someone can beat it in, like, five minutes now. Two minutes. I meant 30. I don't know. That's almost a challenge to see how fast you can beat it. Yeah, but, like, when we first played it? Oh, God. <laughs> Hours. Oh, also, also, uh, a little, a little kind of confession here. I've never beaten Super Mario Brothers. Hey, man. I've beaten it in Welcome one life. Club. I, I have beaten <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 3 on the NES, not you Super Nintendo all-star reskin motherfuckers, because you don't know my pain about level 8-1, where you're in the dark and you have like a little tiny flashlight and you can't make the goddamn jumps. <laughs> mm. Okay. Okay. We're good? I'm good. We're good? Yeah. Cool. We're good? All right, we're going to take so a break, and then we're going to get back to cynical. Are we too cynical? Yes. <laughs> and that's over. it. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the end of the topic. We're good. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so we're going to get into the last segment of uh, the night with my last topic. And um, so the, the general... I've got a quick story for everybody. Uh, there's a movie that came out pretty recently, and this movie is called Annie, and I haven't seen it. I don't know anyone who actually has seen it. I don't know if anyone in the world has seen it, but it because it looked bad, frankly. It just looks like a bad movie. But anyway, the fact is it's a remake of something that a lot of people hold as a classic uh, film. And it's my wife. When the movie was musical. first announced, it's is my, it? It's my. She loves the old movie, and I, I can't stamp it. <laughs> have you Have you seen the movie, the new one? No. Are you going to? I don't think she she knows it exists. <laughs> I'm gonna let okay. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> honey, this is honey. Don't listen to this podcast. Probably for the best. Um, but when the movie was first announced. I and many people I know were like, that. Wh- why does it need to be a remake, though? Why do we need to get another remake? And then we found out more about it, and we just started to get confused. Why is it set in modern day? I didn't give a shit that it, that about, the, about her being black, but I was confused as to why they were setting it modern day and what they were trying to do with this movie. And then um, there was uh, uh, Peter Pan Live was aired pretty recently, about a month ago or whatever. And I, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is kind of fun. Christopher Walken's doing a lot of stuff. But it was basically, the at my school, it was talked about that it was generally not good. And then I watched it again with my family uh, during Christmas break, and they just loved it. And I was like, have we, as a generation, become too cynical about things? Are we not, are we, are we trying to look at things in a negative aspect, or is it that we just, we have high standards you know, I, I think um, I think we're just sick of remakes and redos. I think that stuff. could be a big thing. It's, it's a big, big, big thing. We, Another movie. Um, there's a movie that we talked about in the first podcast. It's it's about the Ninja Turtles. Oh no! And, <laughs> um, so someone summed did, it up the best. Why they were so mean against it? Because they said, "Listen, the TV show is really good, and when I was growing up, I got a really good Ninja Turtle movie." I just feel bad for the kids who wanted to go see a Ninja Turtle movie and saw this. Uh, this. Because I got a good yep. one. They deserved a good one. 
They and instead, <laughs> they got this. So, like, what what do we think? Are we um, are we prone too much to negatives? I mean, is is general like should we? I mean, be more open to things like that, or should we just be? I mean, let's not lie to ourselves. That movie was shit, but like. Sh- should we have given it more of a chance, or should we have? I don't know. Like, what do you think? You, I told you, Birch. I told you when we started hearing more information about Ninja Turtles that I was probably just gonna go see it for the action scenes. I was gonna go see it, and I was gonna try to find a, a silver like street, like just something to like. And like, okay, if the action was good, then maybe. I didn't mm-hmm. get that. No, I, you got. I've well, seen... you got some. Action, I guess, but it wasn't, wasn't good. good. Let's say that the four of us, I mean, are obviously not going to be unbiased sources on this as far as, I mean, the three of you all have acting backgrounds. I have a broadcasting cinema studies background. So we all have this a deeper interest in, I would say, film and what goes into making a story than the general population. So I would say we, the four of us and people like us, do... Are nec- uh, certainly are more cynical because uh, we expect more, but I, as far as our generation goes... I think we're too cynical. I have to say we are. I, the whole generation. I, I agree with you, Bill. To be honest with you, like I remember, it's been less since, honestly, this is going to sound terrible, it's been less since I was in college, but I honestly frequently felt I could not open my mouth when we were in school because everybody hated everything and loved to hate everything. And I just had this, you know, I would go see a movie and be like, that was, I enjoyed it. And it would be like, that was the worst thing that has ever happened. And I can't believe you like that. And it's stupid. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And it just seemed like people were out there to hate things. And I think that like, not only, I mean, I'm not even just talking about like movies that come out. If you want to talk about the things that we hold, um, dear to our hearts. I think we're allowed to be slightly cynical about that as they are something that we as a generation, as a generation own. But in general, we go into most things, whether it be our school performances, whether it be like the food we go to eat, um, the, the movies we see, the TV shows we watch, the music we listen to, we all want to go in hating it. Like that's our mindset. The general mindset is like this will suck until proven not suck. Which is and, a hard thing to sell, but I just there's some. But things, I just think that's where our mindset is. People our age, that's where our mindset is. Yeah, it just but there's like some things where I can understand like being cynical towards like Annie. It's not that it was set in modern day for me. It wasn't that she was black. I thought those things were great. You could revamp it. My problem is I don't like the story to begin with, and it's a remake of a remake of a stage show of a comic strip from the mm-hmm. newspaper. We don't need another Annie. We don't. Peter Pan. I loved it when I was younger. I realized it when I grew up going, nah, it's not that good. I can tell you why it's not that good because it's dated. It's not that great. It's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when they were going to do a live show, I'm like, oh, oh God. Christopher Walken as Hook. Honestly, I was just like, I know what you're doing and I approve this message because it's going to be <laughs> a bomb and I'm going to write it down going, yeehaw. But oh, like, he, he hit that nuke button real hard, but yeah. he was he was enjoying himself the whole time. But I'm going to bring this one up to you. One, because, Mr. Knight, you are in a stage production of this. And two, because, Mr. Birch, you've seen it about three times. I'm going to bring up... Oh, yeah. I haven't the, seen it yet. Into the Woods. My problem with Into the Woods 
is that I saw it once, and I saw this great production of it where they they tried this new weird thing that I haven't seen anybody do before, where they break the fourth wall as much as they possibly can in the first the in the first act, and it's really fun and lighthearted. And then, but I could acknowledge that show isn't good. That show is not good. But when I saw it, when we put it on in the college night, you were the best part of the whole show. I'm sorry, but you were, because you were the, my favorite character, the narrator, who was there to have fun. And you had fun. But I can acknowledge then that... Then I get murdered. Then you get murdered. In Act 1, I left after Act 1. I'm not going to lie, I left after Act 1, because I was like, I don't need to see uh, the rest of the show, because... Then you didn't see me get murdered. No, because you're still alive in my world. <laughs> not in the Thank movie's you. world. Thank you. The movie's yeah. world, but he wasn't there you to begin exist. with. And so, <laughs> when they said they were making it a movie, and it was really weird, too, because I remember... When we were doing the show, everyone was like, this show isn't good. And then everyone's like, oh, we missed that show. And then the movie comes out, and everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see this. It's going to be so great. And I'm just like, really? The show? Not good. Not good on any level. I'm going to go on. I'm going to just say, to be fair, I think when we were in school, most people set out to see most shows thinking that they were going to suck. Oh, yeah. Like, no, or just good. wanting them to suck. It that's just unfortunately kind how of the, the popular thing to yeah. do was yeah. like let's let's go talk about it and see when, how bad we can hate watch it. When when I when, yeah. I when I said that you were the best part, I'm not discrediting anybody else who was in it. They put their heart and soul in it. But I'm like I've seen the show like three times before that because like my high school director was in it, so he made us watch it. And I was like, Okay, this show's not good, I'm not gonna lie, but you did a good I mean you when a show's bad, you can't do anything to save it. But you can acknowledge people who did good work, you know. That's yeah. how I feel. And it's just there's some things that I say they don't need to be a movie. Why are you remaking this? That's when I know I'm cynical, but I think I'm justified. We don't need a remake of 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 a remake. And when you start scraping the bottom of the barrel of musicals, it's time to stop making musicals in the movies because we don't need them to have a movie of it because they're stage productions. Yeah, I, I I will say having seen the movie again circumstances arose. I saw it for myself the first time and then friends wanted to go see it and they took me along and then a date wanted to go see it and I went for a third time. So I actually saw the movie three times in theaters. You're part and of the problem. I know I am. Just take all my money, Disney. Um, but it, so it, like the, the movie is not... What's that? <laughs> take so your you money, can pay, pay Michael. Yeah, that's yeah, crap. There you go, Michael. The, the I should have just... I, I, yeah, I, I would just love to right see to you. any of that You're movie. Better. No, that's all going on people's wrists to ruin their day. That's a whole other thing I can get into. <laughs> <laughs> um, the show works better as a stage show. Like, whatever problems it has in the stage show, it doesn't fix them, and it actually causes more problems in the movie than than the stage show. It butchers Act Two. Uh -huh. Um, that's, into that's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, well, it it's like it's not act two anymore and without act two it just kind of like there's no point to it i mean it's still there they still have most of the events but without the idea of the narrator getting killed and everything dissolving into chaos the switch it is it is jarring how fast it goes from lighthearted fun to everybody's dying and at least in the musical it, it kind of works the transition but on the, in the movie like you got to catch your breath almost because you're just like where are we going with this and I could almost feel audience members around me being like, like they were putting on their coats and then the giant shows up and they're like, Oh, uh, uh, Oh, so, 
as, okay. as we digress, let's get back on topic. Yeah, are yeah, we yeah. too cynical? So this di- this this digression. Yes. Yeah. Are too cynical. I mean, we are. Yeah. But are we? Justified? We look to hate things. I think that we've been burned a lot of times. Um, I guess here's the thing. I think when it comes to the ideas of remakes and and um, and and things that we hold dear, we have a right to reserve judgment. I think, unfortunately, rather than reserving judgment, we go in thinking that we're going to hate it, and therefore we sometimes do. Um, I think that there are things that we should not, like, make judgments on until we see it. But I think that for the most part, we're going into things being like, I'm looking to hate this. I think that's where most people's brains oh, are. Oh, shit. We talked about this earlier on the first podcast, Birch, about Star Wars. Where I brought up the, yeah. the people yeah, yeah. Who, who, who grew up with Star Wars, who saw Star Wars in the theaters, the original Star Wars, they were kind of cynical at Return of the Jedi because of the Ewoks. We, growing up, the VHS generation, kind of still love it and slowly had our hopes and dreams dashed with the prequels. When the kids who grew up with the prequels realized it was shit from the get-go are now really cynical about 7, 8, and 9. They're like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have a sense of, no. Star Wars was and once I, the best. I almost can't. I can't really blame them because of what came in their time and what they have to go off of. You know, at least we're masochists because we kept paying money to go back and see the prequels, but we kept waiting for one movie to be on the same level as the original, and then we realized too late. You should probably, as we were sitting in our seats in 2005, watching the opening credits episode three, how foolish we were. Should should have should have stopped when Yoda cracked his lightsaber. Yeah. I should yeah. I should have walked Guys, out. I those movies. God, I hate everything about them. I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not. Oh, I I, 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 I am he, I, I am in the one percent of human beings in this entire world who does not hate just hate 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 the prequels, and I will tell you why. I don't hate 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 them. I hate about like. 75% of them, but I, I recognize that there are good I parts. I think that they are not weak movies, but I am the type of person to be like, you give me more of the story, albeit if it's not as interesting, hey, there's more story, and, and I just appreciate that. And, and that kind of worked with Clone Wars, you know, it kind of softened the idea of the prequels, but I'm just saying, if Attack of the Clones was a, the biggest pile of crap I've ever seen in my life. It was just bad from start to end. Ugh. Ugh. Terrible love stories. Terrible, terrible CG is terrible. Yoda should we're... never have a lightsaber. I'm so oh, cool. I disagree. I was so psyched about Yoda's fight. That was the best. We'll have I another think we could talk do a follow up. I feel like we could do a follow up <laughs> Star Wars talk and just kind of have that VR. We'll go back to that we'll and go, just we'll have go. other people on to talk about it. Yeah, we'll just we'll do so. we'll be like all right. <laughs> We'll talk about that later because I could. We've had some time to think about it. Let's now. What do we think? <laughs> so I guess in end we are a little too cynical, but I think our generation, if we're a little bit open minded about it, will be okay. Because mm-hmm. like right now we're talking about it and we're we're, we're open minded. Yeah, we're cynical, but we know it, and we can think... we can pass judgment on things, and we also give things fair shots. I think that we have been given lately, especially in the last couple of years, I think we've been given enough good stuff and we now know not only what we can trust, but who we can trust. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As far as like, as far as making films, as far as people in, who are in Joss Whedon being trust. trusted. Yeah. In Joss Whedon and JJ Abrams, honestly, 
And yeah, um, yeah. LB, how, how you feel about that? Oh, oh about wait. I don't want to talk about. We it. never got your. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna That's have another a start, podcast. We're gonna, I'm not a fan of JJ. Abrams. We're gonna have a Star Trek yeah. episode soon, and LB's just gonna go off the chain like he once went went against me on uh, Wi-Fi Old Frontiers, the worst movie ever. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, I think that I, right now, for the most part, with, I I do agree. We yeah. can trust JJ Abrams in a quality of film. Maybe not the stories at time to time. But the way it's shot and presented and acting that he does as a director and so on and so forth, he does a really good job. Does that appease you at all, LB? Uh, we'll let Star Wars decide. Star Wars, we decide. Until then, Joss Whedon, we I, trust. Joss Whedon, we trust. And I think I think that like right now we have been seeing stuff given to us. So with our properties that are coming that that we I believe as '90s kids own. Like anything that's being made into a film that was something that we liked when we were kids or something, we reserve the right to reserve judgment. So yes, I think that with, you know, with Star Wars, with the new Power Rangers movie that's gonna come out and things like that. And that's with- still a thing, everybody. That's- With, nin- with Ninja Turtles. We have the right to sit and be like, you better do something with something I love, otherwise why do you need to touch it? Well yeah, I think- So- I think there's sometimes yeah. where, especially with like remakes or stuff, if you don't make it better than the original, what's the point? I can pop mm-hmm. in 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles right now. I love every minute of it because it's still a damn good film with a good message and see why it's still great today. I'll sit my son down in front of it and he'll probably love it too. I'll never show him yeah. a CGI one because there's nothing good about it. But you did bring up Power Rangers and did you know that Ivan Ooze had a part in Indiana Jones? Oh, I'm 100% aware. Oh, so let's talk. That's transition, baby. And to <laughs> heroes we admire, and let's focus on Han Solo, Indiana Jones, well, and Mel hold on. Reynolds. The reason we admire them is that they're Harrison Ford. End of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and Nathan Fillion. <laughs> yes. I just, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought for some reason we were skipping that one. I thought this, no. this was our last. No, we, we, we have uh, 14 minutes. I think, I, I think the reason that those guys are so wonderful and and the reason why they resonate, why they themselves are people who who stand the test of time, are because they are your typical. They they show knowledge in places that we wish we had knowledge, and they show a certain respect for not only you know what they do, but the people around them it, is what I love to see about all of these characters. You know, I I don't think for any for anyone, you can watch Han Solo in Star Wars, and yeah, he's a little bit surly at the beginning toward Luke and stuff, but for the rest of the movie, even when he's saying, oh, I don't care about this chick, he's always caring about people. You know what I mean? And he's always, yeah. like, watching people. And I think if you watch all of these men and the, uh, these guys interact with the people around them, it's always like, hey, I got a job to do, but I've got my my interpersonal relationships are something that I value very much. It's. I find it funny that you pick these three people as they are commonly consisted of. Oh, they're the same person when they really aren't. No. And that's that's what I found interesting because, like you brought up, Han Solo in the first in the first one, he's a little surly and a little selfish and blah 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 blah. And it's really interesting because if you think about it, Han Solo was a character who was very selfish in uh, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. 
And why Return of the Jedi doesn't work well with me is because it kind of fundamentally changes character. Why the hell is he suddenly a gen- general? He wouldn't care. He wouldn't want to do that. In the first one, he just wanted money. He came back because he kind of got guilt-tripped. In the second one, he was trying to go pay off that money, got caught in a side thing, ended up, you know, with the hot chick, and was like, all right, I'm frozen carbonite, GG, no rape. And then in the third one, oh, by the way, you're a general. What the fuck did this guy do? You don't, you don't think, you don't think that, um, like the whole being frozen in carbonite by the Empire and all of his friends being part of the, like, rebellion, you don't think at that point he's going, all right, if I'm gonna help out, which I kind of want to because I want to beat these guys' ass, the only way I'm doing it is with a high rank. There was, there was no, we didn't see that though. He no, gets, we he didn't. Gets, he gets unfrozen from carbonite, shows up at the meeting. By by the way, General Solo, excuse me, what? We we don't we didn't see and it just, between it him went, leaving uh, Tatooine. Well, actually, what's fu- what's funny is I I forget this constantly because just don't think about it. But apparently, there's three years between episodes four and five. Fair. So, he was frozen that whole time. So no, uh, that's well, a, before, but no, not between four and five. Yeah, yeah I, between oh, between four and five. Um, yeah. But you, you, he's like, yeah. I, got, I gotta go, I gotta go pay Jabba. But like, from again, this is something I go back and forth from. Unless it happened in the movie, it doesn't count. All right, okay. Boba Fett's that's, that's dead. Fair. All right, he didn't get out. If it didn't happen not in the movie, much longer, Bill. Doesn't count not for much longer. <laughs> and like he's you, coming back, you, Bill. You enter, <laughs> you, enter you know. Empire Strikes Back, and he's all like, listen, I gotta go pay, uh, you know, Jabba the Hutt. It's been fun, guys, but I gotta go, for real. And he kind of gets caught up in this, but, like, the jump from, I'm unfrozen in Carbonite, I guess I don't have to worry about Jabba the Hutt anymore. <laughs> By the way, you're general in charge of this strike mission. Excuse me, can what? We, can we look at those few minutes, and now we're just literally discussing Han Solo, but the, I'm totally okay with that. Can oh, no. we look we'll, we'll get at into those... It. We'll get into the other ones, don't worry. We're can doing... we look at those few minutes of Empire Strikes Back, where he goes into the control room, and when he has those conversations with those commanders, they're speaking to him as a soldier. And let's not forget, when he goes out to get Luke, the way that he handles himself on the radio and stuff, Homeboy is in it but with the never, Rebels. I would never put him in charge of anything. He's like your great, like, rogue leader kind of, but like, that's not rogue what leader, I'm but like, you. Black Ops kind of guy, but he's not that's... a general. You wouldn't put him in charge of the strike team on Endor. He's that's not that I'm... character. They fundamentally changed his character. That kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Han Solo has, is the guy who shoots first and asks questions later, a la A New Hope. Okay? I'm saying to you, I am saying to you, in order to justify and make okay what you see in the film, because that's what I like to do. I don't like to say, well, you ruined it. What you did was wrong. I'm saying this is the choice you made. How do I get there? Didn't happen in I'm movies thinking, it didn't happen. I'm thinking that Han Solo is the type of person to, yeah, be like, much like in that moment where Tony Stark goes, where they're like, you know, uh, you know, perhaps if we can fold Iron Man into a branch of government, Tony Stark goes, I'll consider Secretary of Defense if we can amend the hours, you know? I think that's what you're looking at with Han Solo, in which Han Solo probably went, yeah, I'll fight for you, uh, but you're going to put me in charge. I See, I don't see him wanting to be in charge. That's the thing. I just don't... His character never said he wanted to be in charge. He's always in it for him. The way I look at these characters, so we don't exclude the other ones, Han Solo is the bad boy we all want to be. Okay? Yeah. Indiana Jones is the good guy we all want to be. And Malcolm Reynolds is the more interesting case here. 
because Malcolm Reynolds wants to be Han Solo and Indiana Jones at the same time. Okay? He wants to be the bad boy. He wants to rebel. He does rebel. But he always has to do the right thing like Indiana Jones. But at the same time, he doesn't have the same faults that Indy has. Because Indy has this huge fault that is shown in Raiders of the Lost Ark and not any of the other ones. No, fear, fear of snakes. Fear of snakes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well done. Throw me off topic. Where was I? <laughs> Indy's great fault. Indy's great fault is that uh, when Belloc calls his bluff, with the, when he has the RPG centered at the, the Ark, and he goes, you want to see it open as bad as I do? And it's true, because Indy wants to see it open. He wants to know what's in there because that's what he—that's what he's out for. Indiana Jones is pure good. I mean, he fights the Nazis, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, he still wants to see what's inside of it. It's—it's yeah, it's interesting, but it's not interesting the way Malcolm Reynolds is. Like Malcolm Reynolds says, "I'm going to be an outlaw. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live one step outside of the government," and yet he still finds himself putting himself in harm harm's way. I gotta save a whorehouse because of this madman who's who's run, running this town and won't help them. Yeah, and he wants to kill them. Oh, I I I'm doing this job for this banker to make me get me more credit and more respect in the in the underworld, but I'm taking away medicine from people who need it. I'm gonna give it up. I'm gonna put me in harm's way. Harm's way. That's why Malcolm Reynolds is the best character out of these three, because he does this and it's not jarring. It's never he's never anything else. He always says he wants to be these things. But, you know, you have to go off what he does, and from the beginning to end is, I will always do the right thing from what I know is right, even though I want to do something else. And I think so that's why, more interesting. why are these guys our heroes? Like, why, what, what about them makes them because, the men we love to just, like, idolize? Because Han Solo will always come back for his friends. Period. That's a good trait. Indiana mm-hmm. Jones always wants to fight evil. That's a great trait. Well, the thing about Indiana Jones, he he doesn't go hunting for personal gain. No, it's all about yeah. Yeah, and and Mal, I just explained it. He he will always do the right thing, no matter what. So in the end, you've got a bunch of dudes who have this wonderful badass quality and this like will do anything that they want to do, but in the end, want to do the right thing, I guess. I guess, you know, in, even Indy, I think, you know, is doing it for the sake of mankind. So interpersonal communications, I think, is what's awesome is that you've got these guys who are capable of, like, if you were to think, I guess, of any of these men as parents, like, you would not fuck with their children. Yeah, because you Indiana, know what I mean? Indiana Jones has a little little girl, believe it or not. <laughs> t- t- tell me you know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. Good, because that means you watched it when you were young and on TV and not the fucking DVD release. <laughs> Old man Indiana Jones has an eye patch and works at a museum and waits for his daughter to pick him up. Oh, wait. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought you were making a <laughs> well, well, wait, Young Indiana, Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, when they were on TV, always started with an old Indiana Jones with an eye patch in like modern day telling these kids at the museum about his adventures as he was oh. waiting for his daughter to come pick him up. They were cut from the DVD. And it was dumb. Oh, I thought were you were they talking... cut from the DVD to Come... make way for the idea of an older Indiana in that one movie that never happened? Yes. Okay. That's I thought you sure. were making a commentary on Shia. That's no, what I thought no, you were no, doing. No, 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 no. In a way, yes, but the the Young Indiana Jones TV show was really good that way because he was always. And if you watch the the, the DVDs now, they're missing an intro and outro because they cut 
old Indiana Jones telling you what happens. It's pretty funny, but it's also disappointing. Mm. So there you go. As parents, I would not fuck with their kids because they would hunt me down in my sleep and murder me. Unless Mel could. Mel would probably give me a gun and I'd be facing him and I'd be armed, but then I'd still die. Yeah, for sure. Sorry. I talked about No, I love it. No, you're fine. This is I mean, my I show. Fuck guys. you. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not angry. <laughs> Fuck you. This is my show. So I think that's all we have. Does anybody want to bring anything else up? No, I'm good. Birch? It's good on my end. LB? Uh, I just guess, what do we uh, think we're going to be talking about in the next cast? Uh, I don't know when this one's airing, but it, the next one we're recording is the Oscars. <laughs> okay. So this is going to be a little disjarring and... A little time warp and behind. Hi, welcome to this podcast where none of us really liked any of these movies because we like our sci-fi stuff. That's not true. I saw Birdman; (laughs) it was great, and I saw Grand Budapest Hotel, and that was pretty good too. I actually, I saw Boyhood. Boyhood was was vaguely overrated. (laughs) I I uh I just saw American Sniper. Good good? movie. Good movie. I liked it. I don't know as it you know it it deserves some nominations. I don't know if it wins if it deserves the wins. Oh, and also. In case this comes out later, how about that Super Bowl? Insert winning team here. Go, hopefully, fuck the Patriots. Um, anyway. uh, <laughs> let's let's all be true here. We really care about the outcome of the Super Bowl, so we can see either Chris Pratt or Chris Evans dress up as their character and go visit sick kids. I'm so excited for that. That I'm either more, way, I'm more excited about that than the damn game. I mean, either way, a bunch of sick kids miss out on a character. Personally, so, personally yeah. I hope I, so, both of them show up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's going to happen is if, you know, whoever's team loses, that that person is going to go to their hospital. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Let's face it. All right. So I think that's about it. Um, so I'm I'm Bill Henning, and with me as always, Miss Chris Birch, and behind the scenes is Elby, and our special guest, my good night. Yeah, and we've been over a couple yeah. of drinks. We're a little tipsy. Get the fuck out of town. We'll see you next podcast.